would like to officially welcome you to the second episode of Zooming In on Hate. It's a monthly webinar slash podcast in which we're trying to bring together the brightest minds to figure out solutions to hate speech and disinformation. So uh, warm welcome from me to everybody. Great to see um, so many um, so many people from our community here today. And the idea of Zooming In on Hate is every month we're going to speak to various voices from tech, from civil society, law enforcement and policy makers to identify and to analyze the latest trends on social media. Yes, and this webinar is part of the European Observatory of Online Hate, or EOOH in short. And today we will be focusing on the war in Ukraine specifically. I'm Lydia Okori and I'm with Techscape. And my name is Jordi Nijenhuis, and I'm the co-founder of Dare to Be Great. Okay, so we're really pleased to welcome two experts um, who are doing their utmost to make the online world a better and safer place. First up, we're going to speak to Rafael Pankowski, who is professor at the Institute of Sociology of Collegium Civitas in Warsaw in Poland. And he's also the co-founder of the Never Again Association. And Rafael is going to be speaking to us about the impact of the invasion of Ukraine on Poland. And then in the second half of Zooming In on Hate, we're going to speak to Emily Duffy, who is joining us from Dublin, and she's Director of Parable Communications. And Emily's going to speak about framing narratives in and around the war on Ukraine. And we'll kick off this webinar with a little chat. And then afterwards, we will open the floor for any questions that you are having. Uh, you can use the chat function in Zoom to submit your questions at any time, but we would also like to give you the option to unmute yourself and ask your questions directly after our conversation. Uh, but do know that the audio will be recorded for the podcast. Great. Okay, so Rafael, a, a really warm welcome to Zooming in on Hey, Thanks so much for joining us. Um, to start the ball rolling, can you tell, tell everybody a little bit about Never Again Association in Poland? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to, to participate in, in this conversation. Uh, the Never Again Association was founded in 1996. Um, so it's more than 25 years now. Um, um, and it is an anti-racist, uh, anti-fascist um, monitoring and educational organization uh, based in Warsaw, in Poland, um, monitoring the far right uh, hate crime and hate speech has been at the core of our uh, activity for, for many years now. Um, but we also conduct positive educational campaigns um, uh, on issues such as respect for diversity. And we are especially interested in, um, uh, in campaigns in the, in the, in the, in the field of uh, popular culture and informal education. So that, that contains music and, and, and sports. Uh, so let's kick racism out of the stadiums is, is one of our uh, long running campaigns. Another one is music against racism. Um, um, but over the years, for obvious reasons, we have paid more and more attention to monitoring online hate speech, monitoring and countering online hate speech, which as we all know, is, um, uh, is a big challenge. Uh, in Poland, uh, just as everywhere else. So, yeah, absolutely. I, th I think that's probably also the reason why we're all here, why we're all listening in. Um, and I, I, was, I was taking a look at your website and I, I found uh, a page called The Brown Book. Can you tell us a little bit about that brown book? What, what, what's the purpose of this book? 
Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the the uh, the title uh, Brown Book refers to to to, to the anti-fascist tradition, mm-hmm. um, but basically it is a, a hate crime register that we have uh, um, um, maintained uh, since, since well since we started in in the mid nineties. Um, it is a collection of, of uh, information of data. Uh, on hate crime cases, including the, the, the sort of most extreme hate speech cases, um, 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 which are which are gathered uh, by a network of uh, correspondents and monitors um, all over Poland. Um, and when when we started this, um, the the reason was nobody else was doing anything like that. Uh, so there was no data on on hate crime in, in Poland. And I would say until now, this is the most consistent register um, of uh, of hate crime and extreme hate speech cases uh, that that exists in Poland and that has been uh, used and has been referred to by uh, by different institutions and international organizations. Um, and um, well, unfortunately, uh, in in the in the last years, months, and weeks, uh, it is as relevant as ever. And, uh, and obviously, the, um, the, the, the challenges are, are still very big. So we are, we are doing our best to keep up with the, with the events and, uh, and, and, and monitor and document uh, what, uh, what we can. Rafael, sharing a considerable border with Ukraine means that Poland has been significantly affected by the invasion. Can you tell us what's happening there at the moment? Well, as as you could 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 guess, uh, uh, that the war uh, has had a very big impact on on us in Poland in in every in every way, you know, both organizational as well as as well as personal, um, and uh, of course one of the important uh, aspects of, of, of the situation now is the is the refugee movement and that is uh, you know related to the uh, to the humanitarian crisis uh, resulting directly from the war and uh, as far as i know this is the biggest refugee movement in europe since world war ii um, so more than two million refugees arrived in poland in um, uh, in, 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 in in just a couple of weeks uh, and I think on a, on a positive side, there has been a lot of solidarity and sympathy from, uh, from Polish society uh, that as, as a citizen of Poland, I, I could say I am really proud of. Um, on, a, on a negative side, uh, we have also noted cases of, uh, uh, of hate speech and, and even violent attacks against, against refugees, uh, especially the non-white refugees from Ukraine. And, and this is something that that we have been documenting and, and you know monitoring very closely in, in those last weeks. I, I think that's that's an interesting point, um, and, and also something that has been um, well spread and amplified throughout Europe. This this case of anti-refugee sentiments along the border. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what happens and how you're documenting those cases? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, let me just repeat because. I think it's it's actually important to you know to stress and emphasize overall. I think the 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 the, the reaction from 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 Polish society 
uh, has been has been very positive and Absolutely. actually actually in contrast to 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 a lot of the anti-refugee uh, sentiment and and propaganda that we uh, that we heard over the, the previous years in Poland, uh, uh, right until uh, this this year. Um, so so that that has to be that has to be uh, uh, appreciated in, in in a way and and emphasized. Uh, but uh, uh, what what I mentioned in in terms of the 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 hate speech and and and, and hate crime attacks against refugees that that also happened, especially in um, in one town, one small city, which is in the border area. Uh, the name of of of, um, of, of, of that uh, city is Przemysl. Um, where the the far right and uh, especially the the, the local uh, football hooligans mobilized uh, on the first of March, and uh, and uh, looked for and and, and attacked the, the non-white refugees from Ukraine. And you, you, Ukraine actually had a big non-white community, especially the student community, students from uh, Asian and African countries who studied, especially in in, in cities such as Kharkiv. Uh, so they were among 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 the refugees, and they were the targets. That the single they were singled out for for, for attack by by the far right. But that was, I, I think, it's also interesting and important uh, to mention. Those attacks um, happened uh, as a result of online hate speech and disinformation uh, that I believe was uh, was largely orchestrated uh, uh, by by far right groups. Uh, um, through through social media, uh, uh, especially Facebook and, and Twitter, um, and uh, and in some ways we can more or less directly point to specific Facebook groups and posts on on Facebook and on Twitter uh, that, that 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 spread uh, this information and hate speech just hours before those attacks uh, uh, took place on that day. Mm. And uh, well, I'm 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 sorry to say we reported uh, many of those cases to the platforms, uh, and in most of those cases, the platforms rejected our reports and did not remove that material. And I think it's 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 one of those uh, moments when we can actually say, well, this is yet another proof, as if we needed more proof. Uh, uh, that hate speech leads to uh, to violence. Uh, the, I, I believe this can be directly demonstrated in 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 the case of uh, anti-refugee violence in the town of Przemysl on the Polish-Ukrainian border on a specific day, the the, um, the, the first of March. And Rafael, when we're talking about the online environment in Poland, how, what role or how do you see the Kremlin propaganda machine playing into what's happened in Poland? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, very soon after the after the the, the Russian invasion uh, against Ukraine, the uh, the Polish Council uh, on radio and television announced they were uh, uh, blocking uh, uh, TV, well, Russian TV channels from from satellite TV in Poland. But in a way, I, I I think that that was an irrelevant move. Because hardly anybody watched Russian TV in in, in Poland on on those satellite uh, um, satellite channels anyway, um, and uh, I would say that 
this, this kind of propaganda does not have an audience in Poland directly. So again, those outlets such as Sputnik or you know Russia Today, they don't have a, they never had a big audience in Poland at all. Unlike in some other countries, uh, uh, especially uh, uh, countries of the of the global south, for example, where where they actually do have a, a significant audience, unfortunately. Um, in Poland, no, but uh, a lot of the talking points of, uh, of this kind of propaganda um, gets to Polish audiences via Polish outlets, uh, uh, which are linked to the Polish far right. Um, and, uh, and I would not underestimate their uh, significance and their impact on the way a lot of people in Poland uh, uh, think about uh, about the world, uh, including about the uh, the current war uh, in in Ukraine, um, and uh, in this context, I have to mention YouTube in particular, uh, because some of those um, uh, some of those uh, channels on YouTube have bigger audiences than uh, than the mainstream television uh, channels. Um, so YouTube is, is actually very important here, and some of those far right uh, channels on, on, on YouTube, uh, which are linked to, to, to the Polish far right, um, are very instrumental in, uh, in promoting anti-refugee messages and, and disinformation um, of the sort that led to, um, to, uh, to, to the violence in, in, in Przemysl, uh, but I think more generally speaking, they have a long term agenda uh, to, uh, to, to promote um, anti-refugee sentiments as well as anti-Ukrainian uh, sentiments. So, so already warning the Polish people um, against the, you know, the, the supposed danger of, uh, of becoming second-class citizens in their own country because of the Ukrainian refugees who are benefiting for, from you know, free uh, free bus tickets or free toilets uh, you know as if the experience of being a refugee is, is, is not tragic enough of course nobody comes to, to Poland to to use a free toilet uh, uh, but these are the, the this, this is the kind of propaganda that those uh, uh, um, those outlets on YouTube are uh, are spreading and, and promoting every day so so it's it's clear that that YouTube is a problem in this case. And you mentioned before that also after reporting messages on different platforms that they that they didn't respond or that they didn't take down the comments you flagged. Um, did you see any positive responses from the big social media platforms in this case? Or are we on a very dark path with them? No, I'm, I'm, I'm now uh, thinking hard uh, if, if I can say anything positive about the, the, the big platforms. Probably I, I, I could. I could think of something, even though overall I think our experience is, well, is, is, is very mixed, to, 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 to say the least. Uh, but, uh, well, just days after, after the, 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 the war started, uh, together with our friends from a Global Project Against Hate and Extremism, uh, we um, we published an appeal to um, to the main platforms, um, um, asking or demanding uh, them uh, to take action against the, the most uh, obvious um, um, pro-war 
propaganda outlets, uh, which initially they were very reluctant to, um, to take. Uh, in the course of weeks, they, as we know, they, they, they removed some, some of those uh, uh, some of those outlets, such as RT or, or Sputnik from, from platforms. Um, well, initially in the EU, but 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 later uh, in in in, in other places too. I still think this this is very very insufficient. And even even now, I believe the Facebook page of Alexander Dugin is live, and Dugin is you know one of the symbols and you know one of the 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 main uh, promoters of, of the ideology behind the war. Um, so. So I think that is uh, that is still um, in need of um, attention and action. Um, but 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 like I said, uh, our experience reporting specific cases of um, um, of hate speech against refugees uh, that arrived in Poland is well. That's. That, that's not a good experience, and 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 I would say that the big platforms failed this this test, um, and I'm trying to understand how that how that is possible. Is that is this the question of competence? Is this the, uh, a question of will? Uh, is it a question of resources? But it seems to me those companies do have resources if, if they need to if they want to but it's uh, it's a question of will if, if, they, if they if they actually want to, to to react in cases like that thanks rafael i can see a lot of um participants nodding in agreement with what you're saying and just to clarify never again has trusted blackguard status with most of the social media platforms so that's that does make the situation even more disappointing from that perspective so um, I would like to give our audience an opportunity to ask a question. So we're just going to jump to, to the last question from Jordi and I, which is um, if we handed you a magic wand right now, Rafael, and you could address the most urgent issue in Poland, well, what would you use it for? <laughs> that is a, a very, a very tricky question, obviously. Uh, and... Um, well, at, at the risk of repeating myself, I, I would say the most urgent thing uh, uh, and, and, and one of the most important things now is to, um, is to deal with the online environment in, in the sense that uh, it is not contributing to the already dramatic situation uh, offline. Um, and, and I think what we really need to address is the, uh, is, is the way that the big platforms uh, uh, treat Treat the problem, and and I think a big part of the problem is um, is the unequal application of the standards, uh, because I am convinced uh, some of the material that we have reported over the last you know, weeks, months, and years, uh, which was material in in, in Polish, uh, which was not removed. Uh, if that was in uh, in German, for example, uh, I believe that would be taken more seriously by those platforms. So I think, depending on the country, 
the standards are theoretically the same, they are global, but in, in actual practice, there are very big differences between markets uh, and, and, and countries and, and the way they are actually treated by, uh, by, by those big platforms. So I would change that if I could. And, and of course, we are doing our best. You know, we are not giving up. Uh, uh, like, like you said, we have the trusted platform st status with uh, most of those big, uh, big platforms. And I think it's also a question of what does that mean? Uh, I think, if, if, well, I, I think that the issue of trust between civil society and those platforms requires some, some more work too, because I don't think we are trusted enough uh, uh, by, by, by those companies, even if we are actually trying to help them uh, get rid of some vile and, uh, and uh, and hateful material on their own platforms, which, which is something that, uh, well, they could be doing by themselves if they, if they want to. Uh, but, you know, we are, we, we are, we are trying to, uh, to help them. And even, even, even then, uh, I, I, I do believe uh, uh, that's, that's not taken seriously enough by, by those big actors. Thanks, Rafael. Um, I think we arrived to the point where we're going to open the floor to any other questions from the audience. I saw one in the chat already. Do you want me to read it or do you want to? I can, I can ask basically. Uh, nice. Thank you. Hello. Uh, hi, Rafael. Uh, I, I would like to ask how, how is it with the you know, pro-Putin sentiments? Are there actually any people in, in Poland who do support the Russian aggression, who express it openly, directly? How, how is this? Because in, I wrote it in the chat in Slovakia, we do have small percentage of those people. Uh, the bigger percentage, and the good news is that the bigger percentage of population is completely against the Russian aggression, but it's only 67%. In Czech Republic, is 87%, which is better. And I know Poland in general is is not so friendly with, with Russia. So so how is this? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lukas. This is, this is a very interesting question. Uh, well, I was just uh, looking at some opinion polls last night, precisely on on on, on this issue, and I and I think the the percentage of uh, of people in Poland who actually expressed admiration for Putin, for example, that that was I think one percent, which is probably accurate. This is probably reflecting uh, the, the the mood. Uh, so obviously there is very little open support for the aggression. Um, I know of several cases, but but okay, they are very rare. Um, um, but but what does exist uh, is uh, anti-Ukrainian sentiment, which is perhaps not openly pro-Russian or pro-Putin in this case, uh, but still um, still still it exists, and uh, and those. Um, uh, those YouTube channels, which which I mentioned, they, they you know they would not dare openly support the aggression against Ukraine. But what they are trying to do already is is uh, you know is promote anxiety uh, around the refugee issue, uh, and not just the non-white refugees, but I see more and more they are turning against the the, the Ukrainians too. Um, so I would say in the first days they they focused on the. On the, on the African and, and Asian refugees, uh, but uh, but nowadays they they are talking more and more about uh, 
the, the, the supposed problems uh, and you know, issues around uh, around Ukrainian refugees in, 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 in Poland and the cost and uh, and uh, and, uh, and any other uh, and other issues they could you know they they, they could think of that would uh, that would uh, that would create division or, or, or confusion or anxiety in, in, in Polish society and I I am worried uh, but well I'm almost certain that this is going to grow in the next weeks and, and months because I think even if some of those refugees um, move to other countries uh, or even if, if the war is over and some of them will go back to Ukraine of course uh, uh, there will be a, a substantial community of Ukrainians in Poland anyway and even before the war it was maybe one million people uh, already uh, um, and I think what the far right uh, uh, is is trying to do, and they will exploit this even more, is to exploit the the, the, the sort of distrust that at least some Polish people may have vis-a-vis uh, vis-a-vis -vis Ukrainian migrants and refugees now. Thanks, Rafael. Any more questions from the audience? I can see Iglika. You you made a couple of comments. Do you want to say something? I, I don't think that I could contribute, uh, only to express uh, my, my support and agreement with many of the conclusions that were made and to say that many of the observations, uh, many of the specific aspects of the reaction of society, of platforms, the problem with moderation and the extent to which there are enough competent moderators that are um, filtering the content and reacting to um, to reports and the different levels to which, for example, the code of conduct of the European Union on hate speech is implemented with very in large, large amplitude of the level of success or the level of implementation of this code in different languages. This is very relevant. I have my personal pains after yesterday's uh, peaceful gathering in support of Ukraine that gathered more than 15,000 people and national media in Bulgaria, you know uh, our problem with media freedom. We are in 112th place in Reporters Without Borders. So for national media, the number of people was hundreds, hundreds of people and they are more than 15,000 and many other aspects. So my question, in fact, would be how is positioned national media in Poland regarding problems like uh, bolsiderism, whataboutism, and all these aspects that are making it easier for hate speech, for violence and aggression to bloom? Mm. Well, thank, thank you so much. Well, I, I agree with you completely. A lot of the problems are, are common problems, and especially in our region, which we can call Central and Eastern Europe. I, 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 I think we, we, we definitely face uh, some, 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 some very similar uh, challenges. Um, when, it, when it comes to the issue of, uh, you know, of the big, big media in Poland, um, we really have two types. Uh, which are very different from each other. So, so we have independent media uh, still, 
which is important and you know they are often high level you know high 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 quality media i, I would say both printed and and, and electronic media um, and i think it's very important to cherish that because we also know that we you know we we, we have experienced uh, some you know, political pressure on 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 on, on the major media and the independence of, 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 uh, of Polish media in general. Um, on the other hand, we have the state-controlled media, uh, which um, I'm afraid in the last years turned into um, a, a propaganda machine, uh, which is well basically one of the one, well, one of the main perpetrators of, of hate speech itself um, against. Uh, Against Muslims, against gay people, against Jews, uh, and, and and other minorities, I, I could give you countless examples of uh, awful uh, content on um, on Polish state-controlled media in, in in the last years. And uh, well, to tell you the truth, sometimes when I try to explain it to to uh, to, to to my British friends, that the, 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 they say, "Oh yes, we understand because." Uh, well, BBC got a lot worse in the last years too, and 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 uh, uh, to me that that actually means they, they they are not able to understand what what I try to convey because I'm 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 not talking about uh, uh, you know worsening standards within uh, uh, an organization that's basically devoted to uh, reporting uh, in a, in a in a balanced way, the, 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 the Polish state media serves the ruling party as a, as a kind of party political broadcast, you know, 24 hours a day um, in a very crude way. And, and I think, that, well, this is something that's probably not really uh, noted outside of Poland or not noted sufficiently, uh, but, um, well, but it is one of the one of the big, big problems we face also from the perspective of civil society. And I can speak from my own experience as the subject of you know, many minutes of, uh, of hateful attacks on, on, on Polish state television in, 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 the, in the last years. Uh, I believe one country where it might be similar is, is Hungary. Rafael, thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us um, today. So we've jumped quickly over to our second guest on Zooming In and Hate today, which is uh, Emily Duffy joining us from Dublin. And Emily is the director of Parable Communications. Yeah, gr great to have you joining us here in Zooming In on Hate, Emily. And we've invited you today to speak a bit about framing narratives and particularly in times of conflict. So mm. just to get us started, can you tell us how frames work and why are they important? Absolutely. Um, so frames basically are how we understand the world. They're they're massively important. They think by the time we're we're three or four, we've internalized something like three or four hundred frames. By the time we're ten, we have over ten thousand. Um, and basically, what it means is that, like, say, if I was to ask you, do you want to go to a restaurant? You understand the frame of restaurant. You understand that there are people sitting, that they're you're going to be sitting down. There'll be a menu, all that sort of stuff. And so I don't, you don't have to learn what a restaurant is every single time I introduce the idea of a frame of restaurant or things like that. The same with the frame of war, the frame of borders, all of those kind of things. We understand them in, in, implicitly, and things that exist within those frames um, is what comes to mind when you invoke that frame, basically. And my kind of whole 
whole um, thing is that what we, we should be very careful with the frames that we invoke in people, um, especially in times of war, um, because frames lead to metaphors, metaphors lead to values, and that ultimately shapes how people react to certain issues or how people understand certain issues. Um, and so, yeah, so when this kind of kicked off, there was a lot of stuff that I saw I was like this, you know, we need to actually continue to pull people back into frames of solidarity and care um, rather than rather than focusing overly on violence and war. Um, so, yeah, that's that's why frames are important. They basically um, they basically frame how we see the world. But, you know, it's, it's how we understand and process things. And Emily, can you tell us how frames change in times of war specifically? Yeah. And so. We mean the war on Ukraine, obviously. Yeah. So I think what happened, what, what can often happen, two things happen in, in, in times of war. Um, one is that we're pulled much more towards security value set. So values are value, we all have a universal set of values um within us. Some of us value different things uh because of our upbringing, because of our culture, because of things like that. But but ultimately we all respond quite similarly when we feel under threat or when massive changes are taking place in our world. Um, and that can pull us towards security or it can pull us towards um, solidarity and care. And the types of messages that you receive during times of war are what is gonna help you pull in one direction or the other. So um, say for example, I know in Ireland, <clears throat> there's been a lot of pro-military, pro-war frames in the media led by our leaders. Um, talking about Irish, you know, Ireland is a neutral country, um, which means we're not militarily aligned. But there's been an increasing amount of talk about defence spending, about a European army, um, and about Ireland's neutrality into the future. And that, so that 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 during work, people are much more likely to engage in those frames around security. Um, and so I think that that is that that that's that's what happens. And I think that all of us are capable of reacting out of fear of speaking out of fear um, rather than continuing to reinforce the values of what we stand for and the frames of what we stand for which is an open and welcoming Europe at peace um, and that that is what we should be that is what we should be uh, working towards and and isolating Putin and his regime for for what it is. So can, can you maybe um, give us an, an insight into the frames you've encountered or the problematic frames you've encountered yeah. about the war on Ukraine? Yeah so one one that I um have pulled out a lot and and um and I know it has been has been spoken a lot about already here by Rafael is is the idea of this kind of container frame or this container metaphor of um uh like why Ukrainian people fleeing Ukraine or white people fleeing Ukraine are different and should be welcomed more so than um, black people fleeing Ukraine or even you know Middle Eastern people on the Belarusian Polish border. And the reason that that happens is because we basically one of the kind of key metaphors for that we use for understanding life. Um, there's a book by George Lakoff called Metaphors We Live By. And it's basically we learn these things when we're like three and four. And one that is is incredibly powerful is the container frame. So uh, like your body is a container, your home is a container, your race is a container, your religion is a container. And what has happened is that that container frame has been evoked again and again by leaders across Europe, by, by politicians across Europe, by journalists across Europe. You know, we've seen people talk about like 
they look look they they look just like us. Um, they're our neighbours, so it's natural that we would that we would respond differently um to somebody from Ukraine rather than somebody from somewhere else. Um, and like even you know like like Leo Varadkar, our, our um our leader was on the was on the television this week saying like it's un- it's only natural you know they're in our neighbourhood, um because Ireland now has a two tier system for processing refugees, one for white refugees and one for refugees of colour, which is, you know like that and that was his reaction it's only natural they're in this container they're in our container um and i think that that is obviously reinforces white supremacy and is very very problematic however i so i i i I caution against the the language of ukrainians are our neighbors or or things like that i think that we have to have be more universalist in our language and talking about everybody who's fleeing war um everybody who needs refuge everybody who needs welcome um, and i think that there actually is an opportunity and actually we've had a question for rap already like, has there been a shift in poland in this there's i think that there might be an opportunity here that now that people are in a kind of welcoming value set um that people are seeing and demonstrating solidarity across europe and we can see it is there now an opportunity for us to to take a blow at fortress europe and to build on those values within people um, that actually we can we, we, we can show that ordinary everyday people are well ahead of their governments and their leaders when it comes to welcoming people. Most people actually are welcoming and in solidarity. And I think that's what we want to reinforce again and again and again, not that not not the container stuff, not the who's in, who's out, you know. Thanks, Emily. And I, I'm kind of building on what Iglika mentioned earlier. So what about isms? Mm. How can we navigate those when we see them online? When sometimes there's a there's a tiny thread of, of logic to yeah. what's being said. And, and I'm thinking specifically about the example of when you when you see somebody criticize Russian propaganda, the what about ism is what about NATO propaganda? Yeah. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think again, it it's all about leading with values, um, and bringing people back to their values. Uh, so like, why are you, uh, you know, like I think there's 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 I think there's maybe two types of people who engage in that, and I think that there's one that is like genuinely concerned about white supremacy and how Western conflicts get framed a certain way and non-Western conflicts get framed a certain way. And ultimately, you know, who's left to suffer? You know, it's it's us, it's the ordinary people who aren't at the top. And I think that that's a good instinct. I think that those people have a good instinct and I think they are conversations that we should have. Um, however, what I think there's another type that maybe their value set is actually more in the kind of like success, power and achievement. Um, like they want to know more than other people or they want to be seen as really intelligent on geopolitical goings ons and they know more than everybody else and all that sort of stuff. And I think what we I think we should engage with the people whose values are coming from the right place of like, look, we have to stand up to hypocrisy and we have to talk about all wars and all warmongers and everybody who drops bombs. Um, but I also think that like what the best thing to do in this scenario is like, look like the there's a universal value of truth right so if they're saying what about nato propaganda what about russian propaganda also we bring them back to the value how how we value truth and that truth should be valued and there are hundreds of thousands of people fleeing ukraine across europe right now who have their their truth to tell and i think that that's where we shine the light is that we shine the light on those those people and we give them we do our utmost to give them a voice in this um, and 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 especially um black and asian people leaving ukraine um especially people who other people who are in other migrant crises across the world 
um, and we give, and, and that's the kind of the truth, the way where we shine the, the, the torch on, on truth um, as much as possible and and bring people back to those those value systems. But I think it is, and, it, and, and also like le- letting them know that they're, uh, whilst some of their questions make sense, there is also a deliberate attempt by Putin's regime to get people to share content in the West. Like that, that's also happening. And that, like, I remember one of my first talking to one of my family members about this and I was like, you need to be humble enough to understand that you too can be manipulated. Like while you're saying that you think that the masses are manipulated, you can be manipulated as well. We're all vulnerable to this type of manipulation and we have to follow the truth. And the best truth comes from the people who have lived experiences and we have to listen to them. Um, so that's how I would approach it. But it's not a perfect art. It's not a perfect science, believe me. <laughs> you know? oh, oh, totally, totally. Yeah. And I, th- I think this is a, a very interesting point because I feel like every everyone in this room and probably also the people who are listening to this podcast they want to do something constructive, especially online. They want to make the difference. They want to reframe discussions and conversations online. So does that always work? Or is it sometimes uh, best to leave it where it is, to, to leave those people alone? Yeah, and it's a judgment call, right? And I mean, like, we've all been that person at two o'clock in the morning in an internet fight where we're like, mm-hmm. maybe I should put the phone down. Um, and I think that... I think like like I say like there's like in a lot of like when we do stuff like message testing what we find and we code people by their values and by their belief systems we find in most samples about 60% of people are persuadable in that they believe kind of competing things at the same time and then there's a there's a there's a chunk that you just shouldn't waste your time with like they are opposition they are committed to spreading hate you know they have fascist ideologies um, and, and and there's not really much point engaging with those people because essentially what's happening is that when you engage with them, you're legitimizing their argument and you're legitimizing their point of view. However, I think it's important to, to know that there is a distinction, that there are the people who get sucked in by them and who maybe share their content unwittingly, unknowingly. Um, and what we don't want to do is further alienate those people and push them into the arms of the fascists because the fascists will tell them that they're geniuses and that they can see things as they really are and all this kind of stuff. So again, I know I sound like a broken record. You reinforce the value systems that, that, that exists within that person. Like, look, I know that you're a kind and welcoming person. And as kind and welcoming people, we do this. Um, and, and think, or I know that you're an intelligent person who asks decent questions. So maybe I just wonder where you got where what the source of this information is from because I know that like there's manipulation going on. We should all be kind of looking out for it. Um, so that that is that is what I would say is it like trying to understand that like and especially people in your immediate circle. I always say this like bring it home. Like it's not just about these strangers on the internet. It's about your mother and father, your uncles and brothers and cousins and friends and and those people if we if, if we can speak to those people we have so much more power to change those people's minds because we are already connected to them rather than some stranger on the internet or an NGO or a politician um so that that's what I would say I think that the organized the organized the people who spread hate speech and and fascists I think that our job is to get the social media platforms to remove them I think that they shouldn't have a platform um and that we shouldn't engage with them at all to be honest <laughs> Nice and simple and clear. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, a million, Emily. There's no point in beating around the bush. Um, so, could I could I ask you about the hashtag cancel Russian culture? You know, there's a movement, and I, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I actually hadn't heard of it, and I mean, when I when you sent it over to me, I was looking into it, and yeah, like I, you know, I'm not 
in Ukraine right now, I'm not dealing with the really blunt side of Putin's aggression. And so I, I feel a little bit like I just don't know if I put I want to speak, speak on that or speak for people in Ukraine who are organizing around this. Um, I think that I think that it kind of like I was speaking a little bit about the nation container earlier, or the idea of containers, Russia as a container, Ukraine as a container, Poland as a container, Ireland as a, as a container. I think we want to pull away from the idea of of, of ethnic containers or or nation containers, um, because at the end of the day, there are Russians who are part of Russian culture resisting so bravely, putting their lives on the and livelihoods completely on the line to resist authoritarianism and I think that that is the thing that we should talk about first is that that is you know I think Pussy Riot are just as much Russian culture as Tchaikovsky you know like that that like the like we cannot we cannot equate this war with Russia or Russian people it's Putin's war like it is 100% his in like him and his regime's war of authoritarianism so I think that that's the first thing that I would say However, I think cutting, put, cutting Putin off from money and power is a good thing. Um, and I think that there are arguments to be made about how we, we, we build power internationally to do that. Sports and arts maybe need may, maybe will need to be part of that. I don't know. I'm not an expert on these on these things. Um, and I, but I, yeah, I don't know if cancelling is the right frame for that or cancelling Russian culture is the right frame from that. Like, because as I, as I say, like Russia is an incredibly multi-ethnic diverse country with many cultures and many political persuasions um, and as I say many brave people fighting against authoritarianism and so I think as much as we can we should we should also try to shine a light on that as well because it also gives you know it gives people a way to to understand themselves um in Russia as 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 being other than you know than than Putin and an understanding that we see that too that we see that there are ordinary human beings in russia trying to live their lives and do the right thing um but as i say in terms of strategic power plays um you know i don't know maybe you know maybe the you know maybe the 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 right now pulling things and right now make drawing a line maybe that is the right thing to do or not but i think it, it shouldn't be framed about cancelling russians or cancelling russian culture i think it should be framed about um you know that 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 we have to do this right now to to get to Putin, and that that getting to Putin is going to f- make everybody more free. Um, but like I say, I'm not in Ukraine, I'm not in Russia, so take all of that with a massive pinch of salt. <laughs> fair, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> thank thank you, Emily. Um, before we hand back to the people in the room here, let me ask one final question. Um, you also get a magic wand. <laughs> How would you fix the whole situation we discussed today? Oh, I think I would just—I would get rid of all empires. That's what I would do. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I would think that I would try and and get people to understand that there is so much more that unites us as ordinary people who do not have massive amounts of uh, international geopolitical power than there is that divides us. And that we would step out of our nation frames, we would step out of our container frames and understand that a peaceful, um, a peaceful and welcoming world is possible. Um, but there are people to blame and it's not each other, it's those at the top. Um, I think. But yeah, I think if I had a magic wand, I would I would wave that and we would stop um 
stop making weapons, stop building bombs, stop doing all of those things and refuse to do them and understand our own, own power as individuals and as communities to say, no, um, I'm not going to help you wage your war. Thanks a million, Emily. So I'd um, love to hand it over to you, to our, our audience. Um, I can see some in the chat. Anybody who want who put a question in the chat, would you like to just unmute? And I can see Javier, would you like to ask your question yourself? I can see you've popped one in the chat there. Sorry, I don't want to put you on the spot. I can read it out. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, sorry, I was eating at the same time, but <laughs> listening to all the exchanges. It is lunchtime. Uh, very interesting. <laughs> Thanks a lot uh, for these inter interventions. No, that was more a remark than a question. Uh, I think uh, often we, we tend not to, um, you know, think about the silent majority. That is a bit, you know, in the um, in a, a spot where we, we don't see them. But uh, I think we are in this situation uh, because for years and years um, there's been propaganda, uh, which was a bit subdued, like it wasn't very uh, visible, but it was in the comment section. It was on the Internet. It was, you know this information and it's been mostly unchallenged i think uh, because we didn't have time because we had better things to do because we were you know busy and and now it's ingrained i would say in france for example there's a lot of uh, people who are contrarian who are opposing and who are uh, su not supporting russia but kind of you know against uh, the response um, to to russia so um, I think we need to, yeah, to, to think about the silent majority and, and to to fight back um, in comment sections everywhere. You know, everywhere we see this propaganda, it it is important to say something and to uh, inspire people to to say something about that. So it's it's really a long term fight. It's difficult, but uh, we we have really to 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 do this to continue to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's it as well around around it this this becoming part of our everyday and how we communicate about things with 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 people that that are in our lives, because I think that idea of we're too busy to engage online or that this kind of silent majority is growing, like that silent majority exists within our own communities, within our own families. Um, and the more that we can pull people back to the values that they, you know, that they aspire to, um, the more likely we are to to move them away from that kind of thinking. Thanks, Javier, for the question. Thanks, Emily, too. And Javier, we know you're not just talking about this, you're doing great work with Je suis là in, in countering hate. So great, great to hear your perspective. Patrick, I see your hands raised. Feel free to unmute yourself. Uh, thank you. Uh, and first of all, thank you, Emily, for uh, this uh, value approach uh, to this issue, because I believe it's uh, it might be very helpful for all of us in our, in our work to address some issues that arise uh, in the context of war in Ukraine. Um, uh, Javier said that there are many, um, many thoughts that are not spoken, but I believe that there are also many questions that are expressed openly, but they are not answered. And this mm -hmm. is something that I, I see as a huge risk in Poland right now, uh, because uh, there are many questions as those that, that, that were mentioned already, like uh, what about Ukraine? What about NATO's propaganda, right? And these are questions that are, are, are raised quite often, unexpectedly often during our workshops uh, that, we, um, that we run on uh, this information. And I think that um, the government in Poland, but also public institutions um, 
uh, don't really do well uh, regarding answering those questions that eventually will bring us to um, you know, some difficult issues, some uh, tensions that will make the whole situation even harder uh, mm -hmm. to, to tackle, I believe. Mm. And th that's maybe um, like a parallel that we see in our organization uh, to the very beginnings of the pandemic. Uh, there were also many, many questions in the beginning of pandemic back then. Obviously, we didn't have much knowledge about the coronavirus itself, yeah. but there were some questions that, that could have been answered and they were not. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that brought us to the situation when there were many people that were, didn't trust to the public uh, figures, to public institutions. I'm really afraid that this is the situation that is going to happen um, again in Poland um, in the context of, of, of the war. Uh, so I, I would also uh, put, in, put in mind that, uh, that it's not only about those who are not expressing themselves, but also about those who ask questions, but they are just, you know, not, not, uh, stay not answered. Yeah, and, and, and they will get answered by the far right. And exactly, far -right. But, but by yeah. those who have their own agenda. In exactly. Right? Exactly. And I think, I think what's important as well as like a civil society or progressive or anti-fascist, whatever we want to call ourselves, I think it's really important that we don't um, find ourselves in the position of defending political leadership or governments um, for them. I think it's really important that we don't dismiss people's real questions about the accountability of the people who make decisions in NATO, in, you know, the, the people who make decisions about going to war. Um, I think that, that 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 is really important. And I think that like when people have questions about like, well, hold on a second, you know, there's, you know, the US has dropped plenty of bombs and, you know, what happened then and, you know, all that. I think it's important for us to to show up and, and talk about that as well but in the context of values in the context of right now people are packing up their whole lives and trying to find safety and that's right now what our concern is and all of us deserve to live in safety all of us to live deserve to live safe free from war all of us you know deserve a, a voice about the decisions that affect our lives um, and let's work together to achieve that rather than Oh, being against NATO is Russian propaganda. You're feeding into Russian propaganda. Do you know, like it's. I think that that's the that's the difference. Yeah, but at, at the same time, taking uh, into consideration that the uh, safety and security issues are also uh, issues of those who are hosting or welcoming, right? Not only those yeah. who are uh, coming. And I think that, yeah. that that's the area that's not addressed in Poland yet, and hopefully yeah. it will be soon. But I'm, yeah. I'm afraid it will not. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's it. And, 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 and like creating, I think this idea of, I always talk about this idea of the bigger we, like the big we, it's like, like, so it's not necessarily, you know, um, it's not necessarily Polish and Ukrainians or versus, versus each other in, in competition for supports and services, but rather we as, you know, communities, we as caring people, we as the ordinary, whatever you want to kind of call it, need to work together to make sure that we have a peaceful society that where everybody has what they need. Um, and that's kind of the framing that I, I tend to say to pull people into that, that when people are going to those security frames out of fear and um, and things like that, is that we, we do continue to bring people back to their, to their values. So. Great, thanks a million, Emily. Any other questions from the floor? We have, we've kind of come to the end of our second Zooming in on hate. Javier says he agrees, they're very powerful arguments. So 
if I don't see any hands raised. So let's um, wrap up our second episode. Emily Duffy, Rafael Pankowski, thanks a million for joining us on our second Zooming In on Hate. And we'll be Zooming In on the Baltics, Ukraine and other um, areas affected over the coming coming weeks in podcasts or in the next Zooming In on Hate. So um, please do join us. Yeah, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list at www.eooh.eu. Um, and you will be updated on the next episodes, the next webinars. You can also join the conversations on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I hope to see you again next time. Great. And just one very genuine, sincere thanks to the European Commission Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme um, at DG Justice, who have um, helped us implement this project. So thank you. Thanks everybody for joining us and hope to see you again soon. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Raphael. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.